The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this Stockhead podcast. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Today, energy supplies are being revolutionised globally with rapid introduction of low emission power sources and storage solutions. Today, we're introducing a private company that aims to be part of this change. Australian Future Energy Limited holds permits over what might otherwise be considered stranded coal assets in Queensland. Here to tell us about the company and its plans is its Managing Director, Kerry Parker. Welcome, Kerry. Perhaps we can start, uh, just begin with a brief overview of your career and what has been your path so far and what attracted you to the Australian Future Energy. Yeah, thanks, Peter, and uh, and welcome. Um, I'm uh, I'm an accountant originally by training. Um, I had about eight and a half years with KPMG uh, in Brisbane and, and other parts of the world, uh, predominantly around um, advisory corporate finance um, style work. Um, I left there in 1996, um, and since that time, uh, other than a brief period with a small biotech company, I've been involved in mining and resources and energy projects uh, across most of the world um, and across most commodities, oil, gas, uh, coal seam gas. I spent a lot of time in, in the early days in Australia, gold, copper uh, and, other for- and other renewable energy sources. Um, projects in Australia, um, US, Europe, uh, Asia, part, parts of Southern Africa as well. Um, predominantly uh, CEO and CFO roles in, in ASF's listed group or large private groups. Um, I joined AFE in uh, 2000 and March 2017, so just o- over four years ago, um, with, with attracted by the real difference that the technology and AFE's um, projects can make to a low-carbon future. Kerry, you've spent a lot of time in Africa looking at your CV and uh, working with many new technologies and project development opportunities there. What lessons have you taken from that experience and how will that be applied, do you think, to the to assist Australian Future Energy with its projects here in Australia? I think you've got to have um, yeah, clear, clear faith and clear belief in the technology that you've got. Uh, as, as the cornerstone of, of any of those projects. And I, I think we certainly got that with AFE, with, with our uh, gasification technology, which is you know, commercially proven at scale, at commercial scale. Um, you've seen a lot of projects and technologies around the world that are small scale, um, you know, not, not fully developed. This is a fully developed technology that's been proven at various commercial scale, at, at commercial scale in various locations throughout Asia. We spent a lot of time in the middle of 2017 uh, going through each of those operating plants in detail. The largest is producing about 400,000 tonnes per annum of methanol very successfully. So it's not, it's not bench scale. So I think that's, that's the key foundation. Um, and, the, and the other one is, is, is having developed markets for, for, for what you're going to produce. Now, a lot of projects you see over the time um, you know, will be a great concepts on paper, but there's no offtake arrangements. Um, which, which for us was key, that whatever we produced, we had to be able to sell. Um, and with our project at the moment, we've got uh, basically 100% of our, our 
production um, under under long-term off-take arrangements. Yeah. So Australian Future Energy holds, as you said, this exclusive global rights to the Gas Technology Institute's gasification technology, excluding China, and this is your foundation asset. How is this technology different to that 100-year-old coal gasification technology that, I mean, when I was a kid, we had coal in Victoria, it all, uh, gas in Victoria all came from the gasification of coal before they uh, piped in gas from the Gippsland Basin. So how does what does this technology bring to the table? It brings uh, a couple of unique advantages. And there are, as you correctly pointed out, there are a number of competing gasification technology across the world. The key aspect for this is, and the key, the key um, differentiator for this technology is that it operates very well and very efficiently on lower quality high ash coal so we can effectively take waste coal or coal that would otherwise be returned to the pit as waste and utilize that as as the as the feedstock gives us two distinct advantages one being a very high availability of coal of that nature most operating coal mines have coal of that nature that's returned to the pit as waste so we've got a very strong availability of coal but we've also got a distinct cost of production advantage in that we're not relying on export quality coal uh, as our feedstock. Um, so that's that's the key attribute. And, and I guess from a technological point of view, um, all of our CO2 emissions are captured on a pre-combustion basis. So um, they're not emitted, they're all captured. Um, and by virtue of the being pre-combustion, um, a very high purity nature, somewhere between 96 and 98% purity. So in the world that we are today, we recognise that we can't build a project like that unless we can do something with the with the CO2 emissions. And over the last 18 months, we've spent a lot of time developing markets uh, for that CO2. So turning around the concept of CO2 being a problem to CO2 being a valuable product. Uh, we'll take about a third of our emissions uh, and they'll be sold in, we've got a heads of agreement in place for those deaths to be sold into the uh, food grade market. Um, so the 98% type purity level, um, you know, traditionally that CO2 has been used for carbonated beverages, beers and soft drinks and that, but increasingly being used across the world um, for, for food transport and food distribution. The CO2 food grade market in Asia, for example, at the moment is somewhere between $9 and $10 billion US per annum. Uh, and growing at about 6 to 7% annually. So we see a huge market, um, expanding market for that, and Gladstone, you know, being virtually on the doorstep of Asia in terms of, um, of accessing those markets. The second, the, sec- the second two-thirds of the CO2 will go into an advanced manufacturing uh, project, which likely to be co-located on our site, uh, which will take CO2, mix it with a variety of minerals to create building products. So um, um, all of it's captured um, and all of it ending up in a very clean process. So that brings us to the uh, projects that you're working on, the three main projects that AFE has um, sort of in pre-feasibility and feasibility studies. Uh, Can you just run us through those projects, please, Kerry? Yeah, sure. Um, The the most advanced of those and the one we've been working on the last three years or so is, is our Gladstone Energy and Ammonia Project, our Blue Hydrogen Project. Um, ammonia being recognised and increasingly recognised around the world at the moment as being one of, but if not the most efficient uh, uh, methods to transport hydrogen. 
Um, so we, the, they have about 230,000 tonnes per annum of ammonia and about 14 petajoules of gas uh, as our produced product. To put that in perspective, um, that's about 91,000 tonnes per annum of hydrogen. Um, so a significantly scaled up project. Um, you know, so the number of green hydrogen projects being proposed around Australia at the moment, but most of those are in that sort of 500 to 5,000 tonne per annum um, capacity. Um, ours will be at 91,000 tonnes per annum, probably larger than all of those smaller green ones put together. And the green hydrogen projects need a lot of uh, green electricity, which hasn't yet been built. So there's a... Where That's right. Yeah. And also with our Gladstone project, uh, a distinctive cost of production advantage over the, over the green hydrogen projects at the moment, our hydrogen will be produced at around a US $1.50 per kilo. Um, and over time, we'll get that down to about US $1.20 per kilo. So that's below the magical sort of $2 Yeah, gigajoule. well, well, well below. Um, so we're getting to scale quickly uh, and we're getting at a you know, very good cost of production uh, uh, off our first project. The grain projects at the moment, the ones we're seeing are producing at, at anywhere between probably uh, US dollars, six to eight dollars per kilo, and our view is that they'll get down to about three to four kilo, uh, three to four dollars per kilo over time. So for us, you know, the, the blue hydrogen space we're in, we see it as being vital uh, for the sector, not only in the medium term but also the longer term, uh, to meet the what we see as the demand that's going to be there. Yeah, and so Woodside's looking at ammonia as a product to transport hydrogen as well. Yeah, and in, yes, that's correct. And increasingly being, uh, in terms of the marine and shipping industry, um, uh, increasingly being uh, you know viewed as as, as the best best um, you know cleaner fuel for that industry as well. And so, where does the uh, fuel source come from for that? You know, you're going to base it in in Gladstone. Yeah, we've got we've got two coal sources we're looking at at the moment, both within. Um, probably 150 kilometres proximity to Gladstone. And that was one of the reasons we chose Gladstone as the, uh, as the, as the site of our first project uh, in that um, you know, we're close to a number of operating coal mines that are already in that area coming in off differing rail, different, differing rail lines so that we've got, um, you know, as a risk management strategy, we've got coal coming in from varying sources. Yeah, it's, a, it's an industrial hub with the port and so forth. Oh, it's... it's um, when we decided on Gladstone about three years ago, it was for those reasons. We've got a community that's um, understanding and, and, and proud that they are an industrial town. Um, we've got a great workforce. Uh, we've got an excellent you know, deep water port. Uh, we've got coal supply. Um, we've got a great land site that we acquired from the Queensland Government in 2018. Um, we've got direct rail access with it. We've got mains power at the boundary of the property. Um, gas pipeline at the boundary. It's, it's very well located. Yeah, so can we skip over to the other two projects, Kerry? Yes, the other, the other two are earlier stage are in more in pre-feasibility stage. The first one being our proposed Pentland Hydrogen Hub. Pentland's located about 230 kilometres southwest of Townsville, uh, directly on the railway line, directly under mains power. Uh, and we're looking at that longer term uh, as, as probably the second stage project for AFE which will look at um, you know, a combination of either ammonia and methanol or, or some variation thereof um, for, for export purposes through the Port of Townsville. Um, 
and sort of the Surat Basin Hydrogen Hub that we're also looking at, again, in the pre-feasibility stage, um, utilising local coal, coal sources within that area. It's, it's a large coal province um, and targeting the, um, the CO2 that will be produced from that project uh, into a number of enhanced oil recovery projects that are proposed for that region. So again, closing the loop, uh, making sure we're dealing with, with the emissions in a, in a responsible way. So, Kerry, these types of industrial bits of kit, if you like, uh, don't come cheaply. What sort of capital costs are involved in each of these projects and where will AFE look to source its funding? Will you be you know, looking to uh, bring in a joint venture partner? Will you go to the equity and debt markets um, and look for um, offtake agreements which you can you know, partner with, that sort of thing? Yeah, look, um, the, the total capex is is not small. Um, if you look at the Gladstone project, the capitals um, development capitals are approximately a billion dollars Aussie, so it's not um, not small. We've spent a lot of time in the last eighteen months around the debt side of things, and we've got a construction finance facility term sheet in place uh, for a six hundred and fifty million dollar US facility, which will anchor the bulk of the debt. Um, we've had strong support from uh, the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility towards um, a, a loan facility for the project. And we qualify under NAIF given our location in Gladstone, so that's well progressed. Uh, we're working with a number of um, strategic uh, offshore strategic partners at the moment um, around direct investment into the project uh, and into AFE. So that will be one source of the equity. Um, and, you know, we've obviously got fairly solid off-takers in place already um, around the ammonia and the gas off-take um, that we'll look to tap for some of the equity as well. Ultimately, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve some entry into the public markets at some stage uh, through a you know, listing either here or elsewhere, um, you know, once, once we get uh, further along with the project. And, Kerry, how many are on the team there at Australian... Uh, future energy and, and who are the major shareholders there now? Uh, we've got a team of about, core team of about 12 of a uh, group, mix of technical um, and commercial finance skills. Um, uh, and we've got a number of other key consultants, probably another 10 or a dozen key consultants that we draw on over time or as we need. I should also add that we've also had um, one of the key decisions we made uh, in 2018 was to bring a, uh, one of the large EPC groups, SNC Lavalin, uh, on board with us. Um, and they've been our engineering partner uh, for the last nearly three years, um, doing a lot of that work at their own cost of risk, which has been terrific for us from a validation perspective that we've all of our pre-feasibility studies and other detailed engineering studies have, it's not, it hasn't been just AFE telling the story. We've had someone with the power and the calibre of SNC Lavalin behind us. So that's been um, that's been terrific. Um, we've got two major shareholders. Uh, they're both the foundation shareholders, one with about 40%, uh, the other with about 30%, um, and the rest of the core team, we've probably got about somewhere between 20 and 25% amongst the, the rest of the core team. So it's pretty tightly held at the moment. Um, and uh, and that, that's, the, that's the way we've progressed today. So who are those? Who are the 40 and 30% shareholders? Are they represented by the, the chair or...? Yeah, the, the um, Eddie Coroz, who is one of the two founders of AFE, uh, he and his personal investment companies hold about 40%. Uh, and uh, another group out of the US, Synthesis Energy Systems, uh, holds, holds about 30%.
Okay, and there was some move there to rationalise that corporate structure with synthesis in the in the past. Yeah, we looked at a merger with um, for S- with SES um, about eighteen months ago uh, for a variety of reasons around the timing um, that didn't work. Um, SES continues to be a very supportive shareholder of AFE um, and you know, believes in the long term journey that we're in uh, or that we're on. Um, so yeah, it's um, yeah, they, they've been a great shareholder um, over the years. So does SES hold the license to this gasification technology, or is it held by, in the AFE structure itself? It was originally held by SES, um, but um, in the middle of last year, middle uh, third quarter of last year, we licensed AFE licensed the technology directly from uh, GTI. Okay, well, Kerry, that's a, a really a big story. Uh, thanks for coming in today and taking the time to update Stockhead subscribers. Uh, AFE certainly has some big plans and Stockhead will be keenly watching as each of the feasibility studies comes to their conclusion and uh, you're able to uh, progress with the funding side of the business and put in place all the building blocks that you need to, uh, to make it all happen. So thanks once again for coming in and telling us all about it. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity. I uh, appreciate it.